guest this morning who has come to bring the word of God to us. Amen. His name is Chris, Chris Jenkin. Chris, I've, I've only met Chris for the first time this morning. Peter already knows him through uh, prayer networks in the city. But Chris heads up uh, the Street Pastors for Cambridge. He's the chairman, I believe, is it, for Street Pastors. And also for Youth for Christ and a few other things. But um, Chris has just been telling me just a few minutes before the service today just some of the, the things that he gets involved in. It just sounds absolutely brilliant and awesome of what they're doing in our city, that where we live. So I'm just going to hand over to Chris and give you the mic and uh, let you introduce yourself. Well, thank you very much indeed for that. Welcome, Phil. It's um, been very good to get to know Peter over this last year or two as I've begun to do various things in Cambridge, and it's a real privilege to be here amongst you uh, this morning. Um, I first like to read from Luke 18. I'll be reading three sections from Luke. Um, the first one is verses 1 to 8 of Luke 18. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. He said, in a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared about men. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused. But finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care about men, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually wear me out with her coming. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? It's good that a number of you know about street pastors. How many people are regular um, attenders at the pubs and clubs in Cambridge on a Friday and Saturday night? I mean, after midnight, I, I mean, not before midnight. That's kind of wussy before midnight, but after midnight. No one wants to confess. You can tell me afterwards, actually. I might, of course, recognize one or two of you. So, you know, you've got to, you've got to be truthful. But if you imagine the scene, past midnight, the city can get pretty busy. Um, a number of young people and older people uh, can be quite rowdy, can be quite rough. People can get hurt. Uh, quite a bit of drunkenness can be evident as well. And I wonder what your reaction would be to suddenly finding yourself. Maybe you've come out of the theatre very late or you've, you've, you've been visiting people in the city very late. Maybe and you come out of the city and you find... Um, such a mass of things going on. What would your reaction be? Maybe you think, well, it's, uh, it's all, you know, quite good stuff. The, the young people are out there. They're, oh, next slide, please. Sorry, should have said. Maybe it's a good thing because there are people out there celebrating, maybe having some harmless fun. Well, maybe it gets a bit too much sometimes. But hey, they're only young. You know, we were young once, so, so that's fine. Uh, but it's not all good. There is a dark underside um, to what we call the nighttime economy. And certainly from a civic point of view in Cambridge, the issues that were seen in the nighttime economy, that of a feeling of being unsafe, uh, of seeing um, injuries happening and drunkenness and so forth, actually made that issue the top policing priority for the centre of Cambridge, what we call Market Ward. 
around Regent Street and Andrew Street, the centre of Cambridge. And the community safety plan, this is sort of the, the civic, as it were, technical background to this, alcohol-related violence and antisocial behaviour was the top priority and, and became the policing plan top priority uh, for Cambridge, for the middle of Cambridge. And Adenbrooks were concerned that over a thousand admissions every year uh, due to um, injuries sustained uh, in these kinds of situations. Some of that was domestic violence, but many of it was actually on the streets or in the pubs and clubs uh, late at night. And most of that uh, was on Fridays and Saturday nights. So there was a, a, quite a significant uh, civic and social concern. And someone might say, well, this is just about you know, people who are not able to take their drink. They shouldn't be out late at night. They should be at home, etc." Easy to perhaps blame the licensed trade, uh, the people that make the drinks and so forth. But we have to remember that our young people, and, and this is, I think, in particular, a young people's issue very often, are subject to some quite significant pressures that we perhaps experienced as well when we were that age, or we can still experience today. Significant peer pressure, you know, to follow the crowd and do the in thing, not to go home, to have an extra drink, to try that drug, etc., Significant peer pressure. The drink pricing is a specific issue, and I won't get into the, as it were, the sort of politics of that, but it is very well understood that the amount of drink consumed is directly in, in inverse proportion to the price of the drink. So people that spend a sort of fixed amount of money, but they drink as much as alcohol as they can get sometimes within that amount of money. So as the drink prices goes down, then the alcohol consumption uh, goes up. The drug trade, of course, is pernicious in our society. Um, it's not uh, so extensive in Cambridge as in some other cities and towns in the UK, and we're very thankful uh, for that. But I do believe that we have, as a society, slightly lost the plot over this issue, and there's a kind of liberal elitism which says, well, it's okay, actually, well, I handled it. Actually, my kids, they'll be okay. They'll grow through it. They'll be fine. I don't want you to criminalize my kids. And yet, as um, a phrase I heard on the, on the television on a program um, depicting some of these things, and what about, therefore, the dead bodies and broken lives from here to Caracas? So there is a significant issue um, of, of drugs that our young people are pressured um, into participating. And once in, of course it can be impossible to get out. It's also the case overnight, there are people around who seem to want to attach themselves to people that look as if they might need help. We often find um, people looking as if they're helping in a situation, but we get a sense that actually this is not right. There's something not quite right about this help that's being offered. Sometimes there's a bit of a clue in which they call the person who needs help by the wrong name, and then we think, well, there's something quite, not quite right here and we have to ask them to leave. But there are people who are out to form relationships which may not be entirely appropriate, and people that are vulnerable um, are, of course, vulnerable to that kind of pressure uh, as well. The question that comes then in all these situations is, as in many situations of social difficulty, what would Jesus do? What would Jesus do? And it's instructive um, to look back and, and how did Jesus respond um, to the crowds um, in his day. And we read in Matthew 9, 
verse 36 to 38. When he saw the crowds, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Jesus did go to the synagogues, and that gave him a particular level of credibility as a teacher and a preacher, and as a person that would be listened to, but he very quickly extended that ministry outside the synagogue, and primarily he went to where people were. He didn't go to a particular place and ask people to come to him unless that was convenient um, because that was where he happened to be staying that particular night. But people flocked uh, to him wherever he was and he walked around the, <coughs> the streets and the roads of, uh, of Palestine uh, meeting people where they were. And most of the interactions were where Jesus had traveled uh, to meet people and, you know, one particular example where he went across the, the, the sea to the region of the Gerasenes to meet the man, the only one person there with that long trip there and back to meet the man that was possessed by many demons. And he went there specifically to heal uh, and restore that man. And so he did many times. And he said, foxes have holes and the birds of the air have their nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. So he did not stay in the synagogue. He went through the door and he went to where the people were and the people came to him. And what did he do? Uh, There were three things that he tended to do. And it's a wonderful thing that in some of these ministries, and street passes is one of them, where we can actually fulfill the same elements of ministry that Jesus fulfilled. And we really can walk the walk that he walked and be his voice and be his hands in a wonderful way through our weaknesses and imperfections uh, we can be Christ on the streets and in other situations too. So he blessed he blessed those that were poor in spirit. He encouraged them. He blessed uh, the children. He said suffer the children to come to me and he took them in his arms and he blessed them. He encouraged people in their situations. He provided food. He provided wine. He blessed the wedding at Cana. He blessed the picnics of the 5,000 and the 4,000 with the miraculous supply of food and provisions. And so he blessed. He also healed. We've heard of that this morning already. And many, many times Jesus would heal people. And in many ways, the, the mainstay of his ministry would in fact be the healing of people Um, who came to him before he would then teach them. He met their needs of healing first before he taught them. And then he went on um, to teach. And of course he taught that the kingdom of God was amongst them. He taught them about who he was and what would happen in the future. And it's a wonderful thing that in this mission to people on the streets, we do go there to bless people. We want them to have a good time. But we also are there to heal and help them in the situations of difficulty they find themselves in. I'll talk more about that in a moment. And wonderfully, we also get called upon to teach. Now, we don't invite people to come and hear us teach, 
We only teach if we're invited to do so, if we're asked questions specifically. We never initiate, but we always respond. But we do have many opportunities to teach what the Bible says about the Lord, about Jesus, about what happened in the past and what will happen in the future and what is happening uh, today. And, the, and you, could, you could see that this particular work amongst the nighttime economy, as we call it, is just another step in a long line of activities that the church has undertaken in society. And if you look in our, in our current government makeup, for example, it's difficult to find a government department that did not have its old roots in the work of the church or the work of specific church men and women who saw a need in society and in God's name went uh, to deal with that. Um, I think actually the Treasury and Defence are the only two departments of state that do not have such a root in them, but clearly education, um, issues about employment, anti-slavery, employment conditions, um, health, social care, um, overseas aid, equality issues, and the church has both provided and campaigned for the provision of support to those that are in need in one way or another. <clears throat> and it remains the role of the church today to speak into and to address these situations in our current society. I don't know how many of you have read <clears throat> a recent um, papal encyclical called um, Caritas in Veritate. No one wants to confess that either. Um, I, must, I didn't read it until yesterday, in fact. But I've been struck actually thinking about how street pastors um, engages in the social mission of the church uh, towards those that have need, um, how different churches respond to that. And I've been struck by the, the very eloquent arguments uh, towards this mission uh, from the Catholic Church. Now, of course, in many countries, of course, the Catholic Church is almost synonymous with social justice, um, a little bit less so here, where um, it's not, such a, uh, it's not the, uh, the, the mainstream church. But this caritas, caritas in veritate means uh, charity uh, in, tr in, in truth or love in truth. And um, without going through all 150 pages of it, it has a very important thing right at the end uh, where Pope Benedict says that this is not about the church providing technical solutions. Hey, we've got the technical answer, which is why from a street pastor's point of view, we don't start to write things about drink pricing and all those kinds of things. It's not our role to do that. Neither um, is it the role of the church to find the political solutions to this and campaign politically. Um, and again, in street pastors, there may be issues of how the city should administer things for young people, but we do not get into that either with our street pastor's hat on. But it is about the church's role is to show love, the love of Christ in social action. And this is what we do as street pastors. But I would also go on to say that it is not meaningful for the church to show love in social action unless you can proclaim the good news of Jesus at the same time. Works without faith does not work as an expression of our Christian uh, mission and identity and purpose. So behind all I will say, our ability and our Right, if I can put that in quotes, if you like, and, and our willingness 
to respond when people ask, for the message of the good news of Jesus Christ is fundamental um, inside and through um, our mission of social action, in this particular case, as street pastors. So the call we find is a call and a cry for help from those that need help. And we, we think of it as a matter of social justice. We don't go there to judge. We don't go there to preach. We go there to help. And, um, and I would hope that we would not be found um, wanting when the Lord comes again that those of us that have things to offer have indeed offered it. And that when the Lord comes again, he will, we will not be in the position which, which we read in Luke 18, verses uh, 7 to 8. Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Let us not be found wanting when we see the needs that are in front of us in this particular aspect of the nighttime economy. Next slide, please. <clears throat> on the streets it is a battleground it is a spiritual battleground and it is essential that become, we become equipped it's not possible just to rush out and provide the kind of help that, that is needed on the streets late at night without effective uh, equipment and training and in fact we need to put on the whole armour of God as we read in Ephesians 6 and verses uh, 10 to 18, where without reading the whole passage, and I believe that our work as a street pastor um, is a metaphor for the work of the church of God generally, uh, as it were, outside of our four walls, uh, out in society, working with those that need help. And we need to recognize that we are fighting against, not just against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers in heavenly places. There is an enemy that is seeking to undermine those that we're trying to help. We need to take a stand and be prepared to stand, even though we might get knocked back. We need to be equipped. We need to be ready. We need to work in faith, knowing that it is not us, but it is God that works through us. We need to be backed up by the word, which is the sword of the spirit. We need to do it in prayer, and we need to be supported by prayer. We need to be prayed for. And that is the summary of Ephesians 6, verse 20, 10 to 18. And so, as you see on the slide, as a street pastor, we need to be people that are qualified to do it. Now, we ask that anyone that would like to be a street pastor is a church member that is sponsored by their church leader. We sometimes get asked, why do we have this focus on only taking Christians into the work? Uh, we have been criticized for, being, for lacking diversity by not accepting people of other faiths or none into our work. Of course, we say that it is our role to help anyone that we meet without discrimination and people of all faiths and none. Um, but there still can be some remnant of criticism and uh, we say that it is not possible for a work that is an expression of our Christian faith to be expressed by those that are not of the Christian faith. It is fundamentally important that those on the streets can know how to give an answer for the hope that's within them. 
And it is not possible for us to do the work and, as it were, be gagged. Once or twice I've been asked the question which would suggest that if we were asked, um, you know, what's the answer to, to my particular life need, or asked about a particular situation, is that we should give some sort of course on comparative theology. Now, first of all, that's not very appropriate at three o'clock in the morning when we're all tired and maybe the people in front of us are not perhaps fully in their sort of daytime mental makeup. Um, but no, importantly, this is an expression of our faith. If it's expressing our faith, those that do it must be able to express uh, their faith. So we ask for people to be church members. We ask for that membership to have been going on for about 12 months so they've become established in their local fellowship. We expect our street pastors to be accountable not just to the street pastor charity, to the committee as it were, but also to their church leader. It's a dual accountability. We don't specifically interview street pastors except in very particular situations and therefore rely upon the endorsement of the particular church leader. And we take up other references. Because we're dealing with some vulnerable people, we ask for people to um, complete a satisfactory CRB check as well. And, and we have to be trained. Part of our equipping is training. There are, in fact, 10 days, 10 Saturdays of training that are set out to fully equip uh, to be a street pastor. And that's quite a commitment. And we ask for our new pastors to, be, um, to do three days, three Saturdays before their first patrol. And we have to be physically equipped. Um, I have my props here. So we have to uh, wear the hat so that we can be seen very clearly. Um, and we have um, a kind of a shirt or a polo shirt which we wear very clearly uh, set out with the street pastor's name on so we can see exactly um, you know, who we are. Um, and of course we have a coat for the cooler summer nights. Uh, again, very clearly labelled. And a big, thick hulky um, jacket as well for uh, the winters that makes us of us the skinny look as if we mean a bit of business maybe so that's quite, quite helpful as well so we, have, we wear these um, we have to wear a shirt some sort of coat and a hat um, to be covered by our insurance and also so that we can be seen um, many of you know that Cambridge is covered by a closed circuit TV system uh, there are only well I shan't tell you but there are very few places in Cambridge where you can't be seen um, you wouldn't want to go there anyway, um, but wherever you are in Cambridge, you can be seen by the closed circuit TV. So it's like, um, you know, angels in the sky watching over us. So we know if any situation is happening, if we're talking to people who may be being difficult, we know that someone in the, in the basement of the Guildhall is looking after us, looking out for us, and, and we can always call for help. We have ID card, clearly, and follow-up details, so anyone that wants to continue a conversation, they can do the next day. We do carry the radio, the, the same radio that the door staff use, so we're in contact with the rest of those concerned with overnight security, mobile phones. We have a kit bag. And what's in the kit bag? Well, lots of things. I'll go on to that a little bit, but things like flip-flops uh, for ladies that have lost their shoes, bottles of water, quite popular, of course, sick bags, uh, wipes, uh, maps, um, Bibles, torches, pens, paper, etc. So quite a few things we carry. Oh, dustpan and brush. So we can sweep up broken glass as well that we find as we walk around. Lots of things in the kit bag. So we ask for our street pastor to, to, to also to be committed. 
um, to, be, to step up to a patrol about one night a month. And our commitment uh, to the city um, is that we will patrol every Friday and every Saturday night from 10 o'clock at night till 4 o'clock in the morning. And so you can see, um, to do that, we require about uh, 35 to 40 street pastors to cover our commitment to the city and to uh, reflect the commitment they make uh, to us. Um, and uh, that provides about four, patrol, four street pastors on any one patrol. Also really, really important, and without prayer, um, this would fail. Um, prayer makes this the cutting edge of gospel ministry, I believe. And we are not only prayed for through prayer letters and, and so forth in many different ways, but we do have people who are prayer pastors who also join us uh, in the church that we use as a, as, a, as a hall, as a base for our patrols overnight. They join us at about 9.30. They work with us in prayer. And they stay there and they pray while we are on patrol. And we're in contact with them by phone. We call in every half an hour. If anything's happening, we call in and say, would you please play for such a person or such a situation that we see developing or the person we're talking to and they pray and they keep a note and we keep a little prayer journal so we can keep praying for people on the next night as well. Um, and that is extremely valuable and, and again, even more important than the angels in the sky, <laughs> the angels who work with us in the, as prayer pastors um, in the church hall that we use. Um, that is a, a fundamentally important part of our gospel uh, ministry. Next slide, please. So how does it all um, come uh, together? If I can just read again from um, Luke uh, chapter 18, the next little section. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everybody else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself. God, I thank you that I am not like other men, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. And I've been struck again, as we've developed this initiative in Cambridge, um, how although we can be very different as churches, and particularly when we're inside our church buildings, and perhaps we have a little mental think, and I was thinking this morning as I worshipped with you, um, what the other churches that I've been to, how their worship is this morning, can be very different from the worship here. Perhaps our celebration of the Eucharist has a very different context and meaning between our churches. How we use the gifts of the Spirit or not can be very different between our churches. Attitude to money and to tithing, to baptism. I'm a, I'm a Baptist church, so... Uh, important in our particular tradition. But we, are, we have one faith and one Lord. And I think what is specifically, particularly important about the initiative um, is that we're not allowed, as it were, to set up these things in a particular city 
unless we have at least four different churches coming together to support the initiative and to form the initial uh, committee. And what we find is, although perhaps in our churches, when we're facing our altars, our differences can be very stark, if we're out on the streets together facing those that have a need, those differences just fade away. And I think that's the real importance and the power of the churches working together to meet this particular mission need. And this was um, uh, a wisdom that was um, understood by Ascension Trust, a national charity uh, that has its roots in uh, the Pentecostal churches in the Caribbean, uh, where some issues of, of nighttime and gang crime were particularly prevalent and a street pastor type schemes were, were begun to be set up to address those on the streets in the Caribbean and was brought to the UK uh, to try and address some of the urban needs here, particularly in our bigger cities and, and spreading more widely. The Central Trust, who licensed the sort of protocols and logos and so forth to local groups like ours, insists that it is an interdenominational work in any particular city. And so we have, in a sense, to lay down some of the things that we think may be different. And it is not up to us to look down on another group because they think differently about um, aspects of uh, baptism um, or gifts uh, or worship or type of Christian service, etc. But to lay those things down. And it's interesting to me, as we meet as groups um, about once a year, another one is coming up soon, uh, when all the street pastor groups around the country um, get together and, and, and churchmanship is there from, um, from the Pentecostal, the new churches, the Anglican churches, etc., etc., etc. A wide range of church traditions are present. But you can't tell. As we worship together, you can't tell. And when we have our times of training here, we have our little times of worship. It was about the second or third training event we did. We had a short time of worship before we started, and we were people from, I think, about ten different churches at the beginning. And I suddenly thought, wow, we're worshipping, and you wouldn't know which church we were all from. We were just happy to praise the Lord and give thanks for the ministry we're able to do. So it's a fundamentally important um, thing for this particular mission. But again, it's not also, it's not just the churches saying, hey, you know, we got the answer to all of life's ills, and we, and, you know, stand back police, stand back local government. No, uh, it's important that we recognize that we are part of uh, a group of um, um, uh, establishments looking to address these issues, and we do work closely uh, with the police and local government. And the uh, Ascension Trust have coined this term the urban trinity, which you can see on the, on the slide there, which is the church, the police, and local government working together to address issues of the urban uh, economy. So we do work with them. Uh, they've been kind enough uh, police and, and other civic authorities kind enough to give us uh, training for free, a um, lot of encouragement and support, and uh, have given us their blessing as well. Um, and these, the approach that has been taken has been, uh, I think, instrumental in, in the work growing across the UK. There are, I think, about 150 or 180 street pastor groups now um, in the UK um, dealing with issues of the, of the nighttime economy, and there have been places where there's been a significant and sudden decrease in crime, 50%, 70% in particular areas where the church has been on the streets. And I believe strongly that this is not just because we're kind of cheap PCSOs on the streets. 
you know, it's not just the, the, another sort of policing that we're doing. It's not just the fact that we offer a pastoral response to the concerns that people have as a complement to the policing response, um, but the fact that we take Christ with us, that we bear the good news of Jesus with us on the streets. There is a spiritual dimension. There is a cleansing that I believe we can take with us. Sometimes when uh, I'm uh, part of the prayer team uh, back at the church at night, I have this particular impression as the street passers go out that there's, as it were, like painting a white line uh, down the street, as it were, taking a cleansing uh, down the streets, um, which uh, I think is very true. In a spiritual uh, sense, I think is true. And we have certainly, we believe that we have been able to bless people in the year since we launched, in the 27th of March last year, when we started Friday nights, and then since we started Saturday nights. <coughs> next slide, please. This next slide, which you can't, probably can't read, um, it just shows, I think there are about 21 churches and half a dozen um, ecumenical type groups that are either supporting us in funding or in prayer or from where street pastors have come or prayer pastors have come um, and I think the team currently um, comes from I think about 15 different churches around Cambridge but many others have been supporting us so <clears throat> it really has been a matter of the although the individual churches you read in Ephesians 2 21 and 22 are places where the Holy Spirit dwells the whole building, when we come together in this kind of mission, is built up into the holy temple of the Lord, as we read in Ephesians. So it's important that we recognize and respect the individual dwellings of God's Holy Spirit, but recognize that together, when we work together, we become a whole building as the temple uh, rises up. Um, next slide, please. So what are the outcomes uh, that we see Luke 18, again, verses 10 to 17. Luke 18, verses 15 to 17, sorry. People were also bringing babies to Jesus to have him touch them. When the disciples saw this, they rebuked them. But Jesus called the children to him and said, Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. I tell you the truth, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. The word for uh, little children there can include the sort of younger adult, um, as the Greek word uh, goes. And I do believe that we are there to bless the little ones, or the vulnerable ones, um, who we tend to find on the streets uh, late at night, and to bring them to Jesus by the acts of loving sacrifice and service that we're able to do. And I would say to those who may be concerned about us giving a Christian message, I would say, do not hinder them from coming to know the Lord. As the, as the disciples were kind of saying to Jesus, well, look, it's inconvenient having these little ones come to you. They're, they're, they're making a noise or they're getting in the way. Um, you want to go to people who are important, not these young people. They won't do your ministry any good. And Jesus rebuked them and said, do not hinder them. That the little children come to me. And so we defend very profoundly um, our willingness and our ability um, to give an answer to people that ask us for the hope uh, that we have within us. So what do we do? Well, it's important that we see what's going on, that we're very visible, we're there to be seen as well, 
we respect. You know, we're not there because people have invited us to be there. Um, we're not there by some sort of right. Um, we're there um, in the streets as an offer of service. If that offer is not required, we, we say, fine, and we bless them, and we just walk on. It is their turf. It's a bit like um, those of you that have teenagers, you know, when you... They, they say, Mum, Dad, you know, uh, can we have a party? Yeah, that's fine, darling. Where? In, that, in the living room. Ah, okay. Um, so you check the insurance and, and uh, you know, clear away the valuables and, and say, fine, okay, you've got the living room from, say, 8 o'clock till midnight. And between 8 and midnight, you don't go in there, unless, of course, you hear screaming in panic, because it is, becomes their place for that time, and you respect it as becoming their turf. And so we respect... Uh, those that are out to enjoy themselves, this is their turf, uh, not ours. Obviously, we also help anyone that we see that needs help without any discrimination, and the support has to be appropriate. Uh, there are people out there who are under 16 late at night, um, under 18. There are people that have mental health difficulties or other health difficulties. There are people who live on the street who are particularly vulnerable. There are those that are maybe have overindulged and are vulnerable for that reason, or they're just tired or upset. Um, for whatever reason. So the support we offer has to be appropriate in every situation. As I've mentioned, it's very practical help. Flip-flops for those that have lost their shoes. A blanket for those that have, that have become cold. Water for the thirsty. We walk people home or walk people to a taxi or walk people to where they can be picked up. Um, we protect people from those that would be trying to help them where that help is not, in a, not appropriate. We clean up. We help them to find a taxi, and we contact, often contact friends or family to come, and, to come and pick up, and I'll give some examples of that in a moment. We're called upon by door staff and by CCTV from time to time where they see someone that needs help. We try to make the streets safer, clearing up broken glass, clearing away the bottles that we find, um, and uh, aggression and rowdy behaviour. Well, we're not policemen, we're not PCSOs, we're not vigilantes, we're not door staff, we have no powers to interfere. Um, we just tend to pray. We sometimes mingle, probably shouldn't do. We sometimes mingle. We always pray, call back to the prayer base, ask people to pray. Often we find the trouble just melts away. We have many examples of that. So we believe that, that in that particular situation, it's not what we can do, it's what God can do uh, through prayer. That's the critical thing. Clearly we make sure people understand we are independent um, of any other organisation. And we always are clear why we do this. The usual patter is, it's great what you do. When do you do it? We have, once a week, you know, each one of us, perhaps once a month, 10 till 4, in the, till 4 in the morning. Wow, and how much do you get paid? We're all volunteers. Wow, people say. So why do you do it? Why do you do it? And you would be amazed how many opportunities there is to share our faith with people on the streets late at night. Because people want to know what's our motivation. And then people want to tell you about their their friend or their aunt or their mum or their dad or their sister who's a Christian and goes to church or what about this and, and people want to know um, we often speak to people of other faiths who want to understand you know, where we come from um, we speak to those without faith that have been seeking we speak to people who are on the edge of faith who have been seeking for a long time but haven't quite made that step we speak to people who are of faith and they bless us profoundly as they go on their way there is a lot of interest and friendly support in the work that we do. And just as we read in, in 1 Peter 3, uh, 9-17, I won't read it all, but um, uh, we, we read there that we should always be ready to give the reason for the hope that is within us, but do it with gentleness 
and respect. We can't just be there bashing people over the head with Bibles or ramming the gospel down their throats. We have to respond appropriately, recognizing where they're coming from and their own personal situation and the situation at that time as to what they can receive at that point in time. But we do have some uh, really amazing uh, conversations. And I believe this is all about a spiritual renewal as we're able to share uh, the gospel. So just a very quick slide, the next one. It's a typical patrol. That's what happens on a typical Friday or Saturday night. I think our record is 250 bottles cleared up, actually. Um, that was New Year's Eve, but we did have two patrols out. <laughs> um, and we have a lot of conversations, some longer ones, and so forth. So just turning the page again, if you would. Um, typical situations. A lot of these I've been involved in myself as a, as a street pastor. Um, we came across a group of people who seemed to be carrying someone um, into the front of a church, into the graveyard at the front of a church, um, and put this person on a bench. And we thought, hey, up, you know, what's happening? We followed at a distance, and then we came up and said, is everything okay? And uh, a lady there said, it's my, it's my partner. He's dying. He's, he's dead or he's dying. We need do something, do something, do something. Um, so we did, in fact, call uh, for an ambulance, uh, we thought he was probably fine, but just very, very sleepy. Um, but this lady was very distressed. There were two other uh, young men there who I think had attached themselves to this couple who were actually very aggressive towards us because they didn't think we were doing the right things. We should have called, we should have insisted on the ambulance coming straight away and all these kinds of things. And I shan't go into all the things they were telling us. But it ended up with one of the street passes on the phone uh, on 999 because the ambulance wouldn't come because they could hear these two people being very aggressive and they wouldn't come without a police support. I was trying to keep the peace with these two gentlemen um, and the third of only three of us that night on the team, the third person was trying to comfort the lady in question. And that situation carried on for about half an hour until uh, four policemen turned up uh, together with an ambulance and we could safely leave it in the hands of the professionals. We come across people who have been thrown out of nightclubs. Um, and just the other evening, we were, we were just midway through our mid-patrol cup of tea, and we were called up by CCTV and asked to go and attend someone who had been thrown out of a nightclub and was actually unconscious on the pavement. Uh, a boyfriend was trying to look after her and call for help. Um, door staff were kind of watching, but they, couldn't, they weren't really equipped to deal with it any further and had other things they had to do. So they asked us to take over, which we did, and uh, we were able to comfort the girl, provide some water and all the usual things, um, while uh, her friend managed to call a relative who eventually came uh, to pick this girl up who um, uh, did not re regain consciousness. Um, but we saw her friends the next night, and they said, thank you. Uh, she won't be doing that again for quite some time. One night, about three in the morning, outside the Guildhall, um, three young people suddenly came up to me and said, street pastors, you're Christians, now we can ask you questions, can't we? And started to fire questions at us. And they, hey, they asked some more friends, hey, there's, we're having a Christian discussion here, come and join us. And six more joined. And we ended up having about 20 young people going through a kind of catechism class um, for about 40 minutes. Um, now, that was arranged. There were one or two who were really genuinely seeking and were on the edge, I think, of faith. There were others who were 
genuinely interested and we wanted to listen to what we had to say. Um, and others were just asking trick questions. And towards the end, it got a bit silly, and we decided that after 40 minutes, enough was enough, and we would leave them in, in God's hands and move on, in fact, to the end of our patrol uh, for that evening. And that was probably an extreme example, but uh, the questions we were asked there are no different to what we're asked frequently um, at night time. Someone called after us. We just walked, actually just going back for a cup of tea again. Often our cups of tea get interrupted. Going back for a cup of tea, walked past someone who was, you know, just kind of slumping. And I said, are you okay? I'm fine. Okay. So off we went. And I suddenly heard this voice say, are you selling Jesus? Um, so we, we went back. Well, there's no, there's no charge, actually. There's no charge. And... Um, and a long conversation started, which ended up, I suddenly felt I should ask, has he read the Bible recently? And he said, no, not since I was a kid. So I said, have you read it recently? He said, no. He said, I think you ought to read the Bible again. And then the other street pastor who was, who was with me um, in the conversation had a Bible, actually a Gideon Bible, which we do start to give out, a Gideon Bible, and she was of the Gideons um, and joined the team recently and said to the man, would you like a Bible? And he said, he took it. And he said, yes, he said, I would. <laughs> Thank you. And, what, and tomorrow I will read it. So we've just started to do that recently, which has been a, a great privilege. We often speak with the street life community, those that are living as it were on the street, they're usually not homeless, but they live on the street, um, at least at night time where they're working, basically. Some of our most precious moments have been when we're able to provide a bit of Christian grace into their life situations. They almost never ask us for money, almost never ask us for food. We would not provide either if they did. We provide water. And we often have dog biscuits for their dogs. That's quite popular as well. And... Sometimes you're, you're talking to people and you feel God saying to you, you must pray. You must pray. You must pray. <laughs> and, and then it gets too much and you say to the person, look, are you okay if we pray into that situation? And they always say yes. And it's the most precious thing. There was one lady, there were two of us that were praying with her, two street pastors standing back, with always two, as it were, watching over. Just praying, there was a medical situation and a sort of personal situation. And we were praying for her, and we felt cocooned by the Holy Spirit. Um, we could hear people going past. Oh, it's the street pastors. What are they doing? It's the street pastors. Um, we knew that there were two behind us, that it were to fill any questions. But there was a sense of being almost sort of cut off, as it were, and in the embrace of, of the Lord with that person. Uh, and we pray, God, that her, our prayers were answered. Another occasion... Um, there was no way that a particular person could get home. She had no home of her own, but somewhere that she could stay that night. Um, and uh, it just so happened we were all going home together in, in my car. So we, I said, look, I can't. It was so cold. It was three degrees below zero. The taxi queue was an hour long, I reckoned. And I said, I can't stay here for another hour. I will freeze. We would have paid for a taxi. Um, so I said, well, it's the end of our patrol Let's do one quick circuit, and then if the lady's you know, willing, we'll take her to the place. They didn't know exactly where to go, in fact. Obviously taken the route before to her friend's house. It was 4 o'clock in the morning. 
And I felt again, as we sat in the car, all of us with her, I said, would you like us to pray? Yes, please. And we we all had tears in our eyes at the end as she felt, I'm sure, the touch of God in her in ways that people who live those lifestyles and live in that way rarely are able to experience. And that's been one of the most lovely aspects of the work, being able to give grace in lives, um, sometimes rejected, sometimes well accepted, that otherwise wouldn't be possible. The next to the final slide. So the road ahead, well, we've just started our Saturday night patrols. Um, we need to bed that down. And we've got 40-plus pastors to look after. Um, and finish their training. It's really important to build up our prayer support, and if I may, and Peter said I could do some selling here while I'm here, we're really keen for more people to pray with us at night and become part of our prayer pastors team. Obviously, we're also looking for more street pastors so we can extend the work as well, and also to build up our sustained financial support. Our one cost, main cost, is the employment of our part-time coordinator, Otherwise, everybody's volunteer, and we get many things given to us for free. But there are some costs of flip-flops and water and supplies and so forth every week that we have to incur. Um, We're trying to understand where the busy nights are. Normally, Friday, Saturday, it's different to holiday weekends, different in the summer, different over Christmas. So we're trying to get the hang of which nights are the busy ones that we patrol on. Um, There are, you know, evolving considerations from government about the public benefit of Christian work, about equality considerations that we we need to contend with. Um, But as I've mentioned, we are, and I won't bore you with the legislation, or I can do, um, but we are in a strong position. But I think, again, this is an expression of our Christian faith, and it needs to be possible to express our Christian faith as we do it. We want to consider other parts of the city, um, other times, um, some of the early evening drinking issues, we'd like to better work, you know, put patrols in there and, and, and other parts of the city. We would like there to be a nighttime safe refuge for people that have got nowhere to go. We would like there to be some sort of, eventually, a nighttime church, some alternative uh, to the clubbing venue uh, that has been tried elsewhere in the UK. There's, there are developments there too. So it's just the beginning, I think, of a, of a, of a wider work to reach out to this community of people in new and different ways and to, uh, to take the good news of Jesus onto the streets of Cambridge into the lives of those that maybe otherwise never have an opportunity to hear the good news. So I commend the work to you. I believe it is a metaphor uh, for Christian work in general. I do believe it is a blessing for Cambridge and I would encourage your support in any way uh, that you could do. Thank you.